All right. Finishing. Okay. Now we are talking about finishing because we are coming to the end of our conference. Uh, having said all the things that uh, I said in the last session, I am sure it is good for us to get to the end so that we can be thinking about those. That session that we just did, actually, for me, is the most important session. The session that we just did. It is really the most important session. It's the session that I really believe that we build up towards as hard as it can be. Those are things that really, you see, I re- this is what I, what, what I believe God is saying to us at this time. That we really need to rethink we really need to stop and, and really put on our thinking caps and ask ourselves, why are we Christians? Why, why do we even bother? You know, uh, if we are not going to do what Jesus want, wants us to do, we might just as well not be Christians. If we're not going to do it. Because it's a waste of time. Sister Eileen sang this, you know, plays this song, you know, at the last, you know, with this session for a reason. Because at the end of the day, we do want to make it to heaven. At the end of the day, uh, and, and we, we, we want to make it, but we don't just want to kind of, we really want to make it. We want, we want God to say to us, you know, they always ask these questions, you know, when you get to heaven, what do you want uh, God to say you at the, at the pearly gate, or St. Peter to say you at the pearly gate, you know, and, and, you know, people say all kinds of things. But what I want God to say is, well done, my good and faithful servant. You did what I called you to do. It may be hard, but brethren, the most important commendation we will get is the commendation we get from God, not from people. We are too worried about whether people like us or not. Because, and it's connected somehow also to our well, material well-being because if people like us, they will do certain things for us. But remember what I said earlier. I can't take care of my family. The things that God has done for my family, I couldn't do them for them myself. You know, I, I can't. And, and I think God wants us to get to that point where we realize that He is the one who takes care of our needs. And, 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 and we stop doing the things that we do so that we can actually make feel peop- people feel good about us. Uh, if, if Jesus did that, if his preoccupation was, well, let me make people feel good about me, we wouldn't be here today. He was not interested in people feeling good about him. What he was interested in was giving them the truth that they needed, particularly, see, when we, we are in the end times, this is what I really believe, that we are really at the end. And because we are at the end, right now what people need is the information that they need to make some very serious decisions. And they don't need it, you know, you know, when I am in trouble, the last thing I need, uh, you imagine this. Have you seen this ad? It's, it's, it's a funny ad. Uh, these guys are sitting on a table and they're eating. It's, I think it's about four guys or something sitting around the table having dinner or lunch. And then one of them starts choking. Have you seen that ad? One of them starts choking. And then they, st- and, and, and one guy says, well, I, I believe this guy is choking. And he starts telling the others and saying, well, you know, I saw on TV, you know, that if, you, if someone is choking, you apply something called a hemlock, hemlock, hemlock uh, maneuver. And, and, and they are discussing this thing. And this guy is going, eh, eh, eh. 
He's choking. And they continue discussing. And, and, and then someone at the next table then stands up and goes and, you know, gives him that maneuver, whatever you call it. And that piece of meat, piece of meat comes out and, you know, the guy starts breathing again. And the guy who was, you know, choking says, yeah, that's what I was telling you. <laughs> that's the Hamlet maneuver. You see, we, we need to be careful about that as Christians. That <laughs> there's something going on right next to us. And we are busy discussing this as though it's a philosophical issue. This thing that we believe in, this is a matter of life and death. And it's about people's souls. And there are some people, unless we do the right thing, are going to, some people are going to die and go where they're not supposed to go. You know? And, and some of the people are not very far from us. Some of the people are in our families. We make so much allowances for our comfort, you know. I, I was telling someone, you know, uh, I, I know I promised to, to tone down a bit in my last session, but it's kind of difficult too. Because truth is so important. I was telling someone, you know, if, if, if I have a child living in my house, and I'm waking up on Sunday and I'm going to church, they're living in my house. Remember what I said, my house. It's not their house. And they tell me, I'm too tired, I'm not going to church today. They'll go anyway. Whether they are tired or not. You see, they're living in my house. Look, there's a principle here. In my house, we go to church whether we're tired or not. Because, you, you, you know, people get tired when they're supposed to do the right thing. And then, and then we start saying, you know, well, you know, we, we've got to understand he is so tired. You know, you know, we just need to... Well, actually, you know, sometimes we just need to understand, you know, these young people, they really just, just don't like going to church, you know, that kind of thing. And, well, you know, he'll find his way. He'll find his way. He'll find his way. No. He will follow my way. Because it's my house. And he or she is my child. And they're living in my house. In my house. I say, as for me and my whole house, we will serve the Lord without exception. You know, perhaps my son, who is getting real big, will be six feet tall one day, and so on. It doesn't matter. You know, I will die trying to beat him. (laughs) If he tries to pull that on me. Because as long as he's in my house, there's a certain way that we are going to do things. Listen, there is no way we are going to pass on to the next generation what we believe if we are always worried about the fact that they are going to be upset about what we say. I was upset with my father so many times. I thank him now for what he did. So many times. Come rain, come sun, my father would wake up on Sunday morning and say, it's time to go to church. And you know what? My father was a finisher. What I mean about that was that until the lesson was actually ingrained in you, he continued teaching it. In fact, he would continue teaching the lesson even after you got it. There was a lot of overkill in my house. 
There were things that were repeated ad nauseum until I could, you know, I, you know, when you would start talking about these things, I just, I was so fed up. I was like, come on, I heard what you said. And he talk, continued talking about them anyway. And when he called you into the living room when we were getting ready to go to boarding school, the last day before we left to go to school, we had the same conversation with our parents for four years. Same thing. And, he would, and when he wrote you a letter, he would be saying the same thing. And guess what? I have three children of my own now. When he writes me a letter or she writes me a letter, some of the very same things that they were talking to me about, they are still talking about those things now. Talk about positive reinforcement. We must be finishers. There are things that we start even in our homes. Sometimes we start with our kids when they're young. You see, when they're young, they have no choice. You know, they, they are going to go to Pastor Tony's children's church. They have no choice. And then sometimes even when they come, you know, and, 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 and other children are going to children's church, there are some children who just say, I don't want to go to children's church. And then, you know, he starts saying, well, you know, you really need to go to children's church. I just want to stay here with you. <laughs> and he's like, well, please, you know, and... Uh, you, you know, and, and you know that they are getting something real good. Or some, some, one child just starts coming and says, I just don't like what Pastor Tony is teaching children. What does the child know? <laughs> Finish yes. what you begin. Amen. If you start showing your child the way, continue showing them the way until you finish. Amen. Amen. The frontliner is a finisher, not a purposeless dribbler. What do I mean by that? In the game of soccer, the people who, 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 you, who do most of the goal scoring are people who play, play the, uh, on the front lines. This number is usually the, the left winger, the uh, inside left winger, the, the center, the right side, the inside... Uh, Left winger, right winger, and these guys who play in the middle, the two of them, and then the center. That's the easiest way to explain. And they are, on, they are actually positioned on the front line. And what happens in the game of soccer is, the defenders who are the his back four, and this in the midfielder, they are usually the ones who get the ball from, you know, supply the ball to the front liners. So the front liners can go and score. Now, I remember one time visiting South Africa. Oh, why did I mention the name? Ah. I remember visiting South Africa one day. And I was invited to a soccer match. This is before the independence of South Africa. And at that time, I guess, there was so much oppression that people needed to do some things to amuse themselves. So, what you found is, you know, you would go to watch this soccer match. And these guys would be dribbling. So he gets the ball, and the goal is right there, and the goalkeeper is not is well beaten, and the guy is waiting for someone to come so that he can dribble. So he dribbles, he stands on the ball, he does little things, you know, flicks the ball, and then he comes and he flicks the ball, and, and, and stuff like that. And I was sitting there and saying, what are they doing? The purpose of the game is not to show off your dribbling skills. You are supposed to score. And, and I think the, the, the church and the, and the Christians, and the Christian has lost that. 
the understanding that we are actually supposed to accomplish something. Score one for the kingdom. We're actually supposed to make an impact. We're actually supposed to make a difference. And the person who is a good frontliner, if you are in a good soccer field, uh, soccer team, and you are a frontliner, and the, you know, the, the, the back line passes the ball to you, sends the ball over to you, and all you are doing is you are dribbling, squandering all these opportunities to score, they will bench you. They will actually tell you, you are not supposed to play. And, and I really believe that there are some people, even in the church of Jesus Christ, who need to sit down. Because all they do is to show off their dribbling skills, how well they can do anything, but they, they never really think about whether that is really having any impact for the kingdom. It, it, this thing is not about us. This whole singing thing and, and, and stuff and preaching thing and teaching things and writing books thing and all that is, is really not supposed to be about us. Something, we're supposed to do this so that we can have an impact for the kingdom. So a good frontliner is not a purposeless dribbler, but is a finisher. Amen. First Corinthians 9.24 Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. Obtaining is, you know, you obtain at the end of the, end of the race after you're finished, you know. It would only be somebody who has a mental problem if they enter a race at the Olympics and they jump out of the blocks, you know, and then they lead the first 50 meters of a 100 meter race. And then they stop and they say, yeah, now give me the prize. Now, I, I, I won. Well, you, 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 you didn't finish. If you didn't finish, you didn't win. There are things that you don't obtain when you don't finish. And, and, and a lot of us are not finishers. We need to be finishers. When we start something, we need to finish it. There are too many things that we start and we don't finish. And every time somebody comes in with a prophetic word and inspires us, and we start and then we stop. And God is asking, why did you stop? Who told you to stop? Why did you sit down? I mean, wh- what's wrong with you? Why don't you, if, if you started doing something that God told you to do, Unless God himself says stop. Why did you stop? So, a frontliner is a finisher. Not a purposeless, purposeless dribbler. A lot of times people stop because they have done enough dribbling. See, the, the, the praises have stopped. So people have stopped saying, man, you can sing. People have stopped saying that. People have stopped saying, man, you can preach. So you stop. You know? Because the purpose of the dribbling, there is no one who is a purposeless dribbler who doesn't do it for the adulation. You see, anyone who is a purposeless dribbler is not doing it for themselves. They're doing it for others so that, you know, so others can applaud. And they get a kick out of people saying, did you see that? Did you see how he flicked the ball? Some, uh, you know, I got myself in trouble at one time. Early on, you know, <laughs> I didn't realize just how someone, uh, how strong of a fan uh, of Shaquille O'Neal this person was so I, I, I say this is before he started playing for the Lakers Okay, so I said um, even if Shaquille O'Neal dunks and the backboard breaks 
dunks so thunderously and hangs on that thing and the backboard breaks. Still only two points. <laughs> I got myself in serious trouble. Like, how can you say that about Shaquille? You know, it's still only two, two points. You see, there are certain things that, you know, we, we do that are really, they, they, have not, they really don't change anything. But, 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 but anyway, we do them anyway. God gives us grace to do them and, 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 and so on. But, uh, you know, some of us stop because people are, uh, stop saying, well, well, that was a great dunk. And then we stop. If God has not told you to stop, you must continue. And the person who accepts the responsibility of frontline leadership is a person who finishes what they start. You don't obtain until you finish. Verse 26, I therefore so run not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air. You know, it's not just about just doing, you know, you, you have to be, you, you actually are purposeful. If you are in the boxing ring and you are fighting, you, you know, you can go through the whole boxing match. Doing this, you know what Muhammad Ali used to do? You know, you know, like a butterfly, sting like a bee, and not beating anyone? You lose. It's not about running around and dancing around the ring. It's about making sure, you see, the reason why, the reason why there has not been another Muhammad Ali is because there was something so purposeful about what Muhammad Ali did. He would mesmerize you with his footwork. And then you would be doing this, you know, doing the rope dop and stuff like that. And, and, and you would get so... I, I, I remember watching George, uh, George Foreman, uh, George, George, uh, Joe Fraser, trying to fight against Muhammad Ali. And he is insulting him at the same time. And he's doing some of these things, you know. And uh, I mean, you get so dispirited. If the guy is doing this and you, you can't connect because he's dancing around. And, and then he starts... But you know what? He would always start beating you. It wouldn't end with the rope dop I remember just before the George Foreman fight, they interviewed Muhammad Ali, and uh, Muhammad Ali decided to really get into George Foreman's mind. So he says, You know, when George Foreman is boxing, this is what he does. He says, You can see George Foreman's fist coming from miles away because this is how he throws it. And then when I do it, I go like and guess what when they were in the ring that is exactly how George Foreman used to fight and you know it gets to your mind that this guy is saying this and then he starts doing this and you get so dispirited that exactly what he said is exactly what he is doing there was purpose to everything that Muhammad Ali did at the end of the day he beat his opponents amen so Paul says I don't just do this just to show how much I can beat the air. That's not why I do it. I don't run uncertainly. I actually do it so that I can obtain, so that I can finish the race, so that I can get the crown. Amen. Jesus was a finisher. Remember the Shekaniah challenge. The Shekaniah challenge was a call to finishing. We talked about this in the first session. What did Shekaniah say? He said to Ezra, get up. You know? The people are excited now. They're here. You, you started it. You know, there, there are some people, they, they start something, and you know, the people gather, and they... 
you know, you, you continue being lying, you know, on the floor crying. It's not time to. The people are here. Now, move us on to the next stage, please. Because we are here. To be honest with you, if there is any reason why I feel God wants me to take this message to the churches, is because I believe seriously that this is a message for churches today. That the people have gathered what's next. It is in the what's next that there are a lot of problems for churches and church leaders. What's next? And the frustration of leadership is, what do I do? You know, and, 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 and a lot of times, and it's a tough thing. It's not, a, it's not an easy place to be at if you're a leader. What's next? This resolution of the ne- you know, taking things to the next level is a tough thing. But Shekaniah said to Ezra, you started it. The people are here. Now move the people on to the next level. Ezra had made this point by lying on the floor. And, and, and so that, that's one of the reasons, actually, to be honest with you, that a lot of revivals end up, uh, they end up dying away. Because the what next thing is not dealt with. Amen. We can get excited all we want and we can come and rain can be pouring through here every Sunday morning. But what's next? What do we do next? After we have proven to, you see, and, and sometimes God does start something which is really powerful. But we want to convince everybody. You see, we, we, are, we can't move, we can't allow this thing to, we can't move it to the next thing because we have to convince everyone that our revival is genuine. Do you know that's, that's a pointless thing to be doing? Trying to prove to the world that there is really revival here. You know, that, that's not why revival comes, so that we can prove to everyone that revival is here. That's not the reason. Revival, uh, for lack of a better term, comes really because God wants to revive the church. And, and He wants the people of God to do, to, you know, to do the works of the Father. That's the purpose. Not for us to prove that we are in revival. We are revived by God to do. Amen. We've got to finish. So the Shekaniah challenge was a call to finishing. Ezra had made his point. The people were ready. It was now time for action, not weeping. That's why Shekaniah said to him, Arise, for this matter belongeth unto thee. We also will be with thee. Second Timothy four seven to eight. I have fought a good fight. I finished my course. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me all at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. <clears throat> the frontliner makes the efforts of those who passed him the ball worthwhile. I want you to listen to, listen to this one. Those who break their legs in the process of building up a play break their legs in vain if the frontliner chooses not to finish. So Jesus' ministry made the ministry of John worthwhile. If you read in Mark chapter 6, 14 to 29, 
John actually lost his head. He was beheaded for the sake of righteousness. So, look, Jesus had to finish. This guy called John lost his head. John's ministry, according to the word of God, was to prepare a way for Christ. That was really his primary ministry. And the end of that ministry was losing his head. And many times, we don't realize that there are people who lay down their lives for us to be able to be here worshipping God. We don't understand a lot of times just how many people fought so that we would be able to be here to enjoy the things that we enjoy. So here are people busy breaking their legs to bring the church where it must be. And then we don't take it to the next step. When we don't finish, we make the efforts of those who pass us the ball we, we, we really diminish the value of those efforts. But Jesus didn't. <clears throat> There's a guy who came to Jesus uh, same uh, uh, in the book of Luke, the same part where Jesus says to this other guy, let the dead bury the dead. Another guy comes to Jesus and says, well, Lord, why don't you allow me to go back home and tell my friends and my family that I'm going. And then I'll come back and I'll follow you. And Jesus answers him and he says, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, his feet for the kingdom of God. Do you see what, what it doesn't say there? It doesn't say there that no man, having put his hand to the plow, and going back is not fit for the kingdom. Says, no man having put his hand to the plow, my purpose is to go this way. To plow the field going this way. It's not to go this way. And the scripture there says, if I go, in this scripture it doesn't say, letting go. Of the plow. In this scripture, it says, "Looking back, plowing, looking back, and, and the result not plowing properly." Because you got, you got to watch what you're what you're doing and where you're going, because you're going that way, and you're not fit for the kingdom if you look back and end up with less than the results that God wants you to end up with. You don't just need to finish or to do what you need to do. You need to do it well. So no man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back. We have a lot of people who look back. Actually, that is putting it mildly. We have a lot of people who don't just look back. They, you know, they, something happened. They just, ah, I'm, so, so, I'm, so, so, I'm not, just not going to do it. You know? I, yeah, I was going that way, but I'm just not going to do it. Ah, don't, you know, people are just a problem, you know? If our parents had that attitude, they would try to put us back in the womb or send us back to heaven. Because I know I was a problem growing up. 
But uh, if they stopped being parents, if they stopped parenting because of the problems that we gave, I don't know, I think I was the only child who gave their parents problems when they were growing up. You know? But, uh, look here. They continued with their parental responsibility in spite of the troubles that we gave them. And in this scripture it says, are you fit for the kingdom? You, you, you know, in, in, the question that I put up there is, are you fit for the kingdom? In other words, I'm not saying, and your fitness for the kingdom is not judged by whether you go, by your going back. No. That, going back starts with looking back. And, and what God looks at is, that thing that makes you look back is the thing that makes you unfit for the kingdom. The same thing that makes you look back is the thing, same thing that will make you go back. So, as long as that thing is in you, you are not fit for the kingdom. Now, these are not Noah Manika's words. These are Jesus' words. If you look back, not, not going back, if you look back, if you are like Lot's wife, if, 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 you, if you envy what's behind there and you look back, you are not fit for the kingdom. That's a tough one. Isn't it? Because, you know, Jesus knew that if you look back, you're not going to finish. Start looking back now, you're not going to finish. And uh, why did... Let me explain this thing and then we'll move on to the... We're almost done with this session. This is... Uh, why do we think that Jesus said to this man, if you, you know, let the dead bury their dead, when he asked to go to bury his father. I was thinking about this, and, and I realized, actually, you know, there are some emotional traps that we have to be very, very careful of. Your father has just died. In those days, if, if your father died and you were a male child, you were expected to take up the responsibilities that had been, that the, the death of the father um, had created for, 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 for the children. And you, I mean, you stepped in and you became the parent a lot of times if you were a male child. Now, Jesus has just asked you to follow him. How would you have come back if your family had said, listen, dad is gone. And, you know, and since dad is gone, we need a father figure here. You really cannot go because we have neither. How would, you see what would have happened here. This man would have had a very tough choice. So Jesus says to him, don't put yourself in that situation where you have to make that choice. Because I know you won't make the choice that you need to make. And you will not be able to finish. If you are a person who can't make some very tough personal choices. The issue here was not that he was really saying, that Jesus was saying, you know, you know generically labeling everyone. Uh, in saying, you know, if, you, if I call you, then the people that I haven't called are dead. That's not the issue. But would this man have been able to make the choice? If in this very emotional setting where a parent has died, the family starts saying, please don't go. You can have what you want from a person in certain cultures if you talk to them during a funeral. Because at that time they really cannot think certain things through. They think emotionally. And then to the other one, this man here, who he said, no man looking back. 
having put his hand to the plow and looking back, he's fit for the kingdom. What if there had been a family conference? And these people said, really? You want to follow Jesus? Who is Jesus? You see, we forget sometimes who Jesus was. This was a 30-year-old unmarried man going around saying he was the son of God. Amen? If you wanted to argue against your relative following this man, you had very good arguments. The arguments against them following were always stronger than the argument for them following. So Jesus says, look here, I know what them people are going to say to you. They are going to start saying to you, well, you know, do you know this man? I mean, we know that this is the son of the carpenter, you know, and he's going around claiming to be the king of the Jews and the son of God. How can you follow such a man? What is going to happen to your reputation? Are you going crazy or something? And they would, you know, the friends and the family would present these very good arguments. How do you counter it? So sometimes you and I need to make this commitment. The commitment that we are going to make is, it's more important for us to finish than to please people. So we are going to make a choice sometimes, which is difficult for people to deal with emotionally. Our calling is not, is not always to satisfy the way people feel emotionally. That's not our calling. Our calling is to obey God. And sometimes obeying God may offend some people, but let me tell you, some people will, will, will be offended with anything. Whether you obey God or not, at some point you're going to offend them anyway. You might just as well offend them about the right thing. Amen. So are you fit for the kingdom? Are you fit for the kingdom? How fit are you for the kingdom? If you are fit for the kingdom, you are going to finish. You are going to make a commitment to finish. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter. We're done. Just giving you two bonus scriptures. Luke chapter 4, verse 42. Luke chapter 4, verse 42. This is Jesus. He has done incredible things in verse 41, actually. And devils also came out, verse 41. Luke 4, 41. And devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuked them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place. And the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him, that he should not depart from them. So here is this man. Something powerful has just happened. Great ministry that he has been doing. Devils have come out, you know, and great deliverances successful ministry and sometimes the mistake that we make is to think that because we are being successful see we, we don't see things in terms of the whole journey so we pass through a certain place and we are being successful where we pass through and then people come to us and they say you know as we are getting ready to 
continue on the journey so we can finish what God sent us to do. And they say, please stay here. And now, our consideration now becomes, well, I am being successful here. Success according to who? Well, let's say, and I think we would be right to say that, that being able to cast out devils and people getting saved and everything is success. Wonderful. But where does God want you to go? Is this where God wants you to finish? If you stayed here, would you be finishing God's assignment? So, when they say that to Jesus, and they say, look, please, stay. And when he was, he was there, he departed and went into a desert place, and the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him, that he should not depart from them. And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. The fact that you are successful here, and there is the call of success for you to stay, does not necessarily mean that God's call for you to go to the other cities, which he has already said to you, is nullified doesn't mean that. Success, you see, sometimes we depart because of what we think is failure and then sometimes we stay because of what we think is success. In either case, if we are not doing what God wants us to do at that particular time, we are in disobedience. And we need to go where God wants us to go and finish the business that God wants us to finish. Amen. Finishing is not staying where you are obviously being successful. No. I'm just going to continue here because this, my success is telling me, my, you know, my success is telling me that this is where God wants me to be. <laughs> not necessarily. If we read the Bible the way we should with open eyes and really allow every truth in the Bible to minister to us, we will find that sometimes God will say to you, Abraham, get up. You are successful, wealthy. You're one of the wealthiest men in all of the countries. I want you to get up and get out of here. Move on to some other place. And spend 25 years wandering all over the place with promises that you know, can't see, don't seem to be coming through. And everything. And like, but God, I was successful there. What's going on here? You know, I heard you clearly there and now you are more wandering all over the place. And, and, and stuff like that. And why is it that God does that to us? I don't know why God does that to us. But if, that's, if God calls you to do something, whatever the outcome of your journey at any particular moment, you must embrace it. And your commitment must be, I will finish what God wants me to finish, irregardless of what is happening at this particular moment in my journey. Let's make a commitment to finish. In Jesus' name. Amen.